Pat. Dan, how you doing? Thanks for joining me today on Trickle Down Socialism. Hey, hey, it's my job to read the tagline. Welcome back to Trickle Down Socialism, where we discuss how the U.S. currently has a system of socialism for the super rich and corporations, where we try to defang the term socialism and explore how government, with just a slight tweak in priorities, could be a force for good in all of our lives. Yeah, that's right. We're going to do some of that uh, today. And, and uh, you know, tomorrow is Mother's Day, Pat. You got any plans? Did you already line up your your flowers and your, and your uh, breakfast in bed ideas? Yeah, I'm working on certain things. Um, I heard goat milk is, uh, like, for a lot of females, is, like, the best, you know, like a little chevron in bed. Um, so the the problem is when we get our goats, which we haven't yet, oh. they're they're going to be two week old goats. So they're not going to be producing milk at this point. In, in fact, they'll be consuming goat's milk. Um, so in, are, in, in a in a like in a sort of like an analogous reference, they'll kind of be like living off the government, so to speak, for a little. Yeah. while. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They'll oh. be, ta- they'll be socialist goats takers not what me. is this country coming to patrick but we're getting the goats on mother's day so that's a fun little mother's day gift Ooh, right there get yeah. your goat okay get your, get your goats uh so what what's lined up for today dan well today we have the the unfortunate and depressing topic of gun violence and uh i will be talking with my good friend cindy diggs who's the founder of peace boston um, about tomorrow's Mother's Day Walk for Peace. Have you heard of that, Pat? I have. I have. I've always and I have really a virtual impressed. team. I have a virtual team, and we're going to talk about that. Um, but first, I feel like the Ahmad Arbery um, murder uh, is so much in the media. And I feel when I, I don't know about you, when I first heard about it, I was like, this was in February. How the hell did I not hear about it? Yeah, we almost didn't hear about it. That was that's one of the worst parts about it. Right. And I think the reason we didn't hear about it primarily is because uh, the father, Mr. McMichael, uh, not Travis, but um, I forget the father's name. He was a former police officer and it looks like two prosecutors um, already who, who had seen the video decided that it would not see the light of day. Um, and only because like talk about tragic, the family had to release the video. Um, you know, imagine first imagine the trauma of losing someone who was brutally shot and killed and then having to rewatch amount. Imagine how many times now they've probably had to re-see the video. Yeah. Yeah. It's Gregory, Gregory McMichael, his son, Travis. And it was Jackie Johnson who was friends with with uh, Greg McMichael and decided to not let that video get out. Right. And it's 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 like the the old boys club. And it it sounds like like it reminded me of the John Grisham movie, A Time to Kill. Right. Like if if I told you this whole story, are you familiar with that movie? No, I don't think so. Oh, you got to watch it. So it's. it's an amazing movie. Matthew McConaughey is the prosecutor and he essentially fast forward to the end. He, there's a young girl who's raped uh, an African-American girl who's raped uh, by two white dudes brutally. 
And at the end of the movie, Matthew McConaughey does this like amazing uh, plea to the jury, except for he leaves out the part that she's black. Right. Yeah. Until the very end. So he describes the brutality and the senselessness of it. And at the end, he said, imagine that girl was white. Yeah. Because because all of this is coded. And if you go online, I actually for fun and by fun, I mean, for like anger and and depression, I joined a justice for uh, the McMichaels Facebook group. Wow, uh, that's since it got taken over by by black folks who were trying to educate them. And so they've started another closed one. That's a beside the point issue. Wow. But the, the apologists are already out there. They're they're trying to say that, you know, uh, Ahmaud Arbery had been arrested previously. Ahmaud Arbery is wearing um, Timberland boots. Who runs in Timberland boots? I mean, it's like this victim blaming. Yeah, it's incredible. It's it's like it's like, you know, there there's no pause for like, I mean, in this case, it was 74 days ago. That's how long it took to get, uh, you know, even a, an arrest uh, right. or a grand jury. But but it's like the victim who's dead right in the ground for 74 days has to somehow defend himself. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, one time he smoked weed or whatever it was. I don't know what it is, but it's like this this false equivalency of like, well, you know, one time uh, you stole from a store. So, you know, it's okay. It's okay that these guys tracked you down and blocked you with a car and, and brutally murdered you and then covered it up with the help of the government. You know what I mean? So uh, I just, I cannot, I, I see this unfortunately going very much the way of, Trayvon Martin. I hope that that's not the case, but I think a lot of it is rooted in these stand your ground laws, um, and they're they're invoking the citizens arrest laws. I wonder if you can parse for our listeners, like, are those the same thing? And what are those? What does it mean to stand your ground? Right. So no, they are not the same thing, and it's really important to draw that distinction. So the stand your ground laws um, were pushed by a group called ALEC, which has been in operation since 1973. It's a group of Republican lawmakers and business leaders and other interest groups who basically write legislation and then give it to the GOP lawmakers who take it back to their state governments and get it passed. Um, Stand your ground laws are an extension of what's called the castle doctrine, which goes back to English common law. And uh, that the idea is every man is uh, in their own castle when they're in their home and they have the right to defend their home with lethal force if they feel threatened. Stand your ground law turns that and and just opens it up to the outside world. So anywhere you are outside of your home, if you feel threatened, regardless of whether or not that person has a weapon, you can use lethal force to defend yourself. That's how Zimmerman got off. there was the the scuffle between Zimmerman and Trayvon Martin, and um, there was the scar or the the cut on the back of Zimmerman's head. And because of that altercation, there was enough doubt in the juror's mind about whether or not Zimmerman felt threatened, even though Zimmerman tracked the guy down when the dispatcher said, uh, we don't need you to do that, sir, in terms of following him um, through the neighborhood. So stand your ground laws are on the books in 22 states and stand your ground laws basically give that right to use lethal force 
to anyone who feels threatened, um, regardless of whether or not they've kind of instigated or or tracked down the person that they feel threatened by. Ultimately. Right. I'm glad that you made that distinction before you get into citizens arrest. Like, yeah, you're I, I listen, I don't you and I both are not gun owners, so I, I don't want to get into the details of like whether or not the stand your ground law should exist. I actually believe if someone attacks you in your house or or nearby your house, you should absolutely defend yourself, including with a gun. Both of these cases, Trayvon Martin and Ahmad Arbery, they were tracked down. So so stand your ground. Like if if you just like think about that phrase, right? What ground were they standing? If anything, if anything, Trayvon Martin and Ahmad Arbery were standing their ground, right? Right. Because they weren't on, right? Uh, 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 Trayvon Martin was not on George Zimmerman's lawn. Ahmad Arbery no. did not run through the McMichael's backyard, peeping in the windows, right? Yeah. So what is that? How how could this possibly? I mean, other than like institutionalized racism, how could it be construed? that these men stood their ground. They were driving a pickup truck. Right. I feel like a provision of the stand your ground law should be that you were minding your own business and not seeking out, you know, an altercation. Right. Or, or maybe your to... neighbor cries for help, right? Like if he, if he ran across the street and said, Hey, what's going on over here? Right. If right. They were yeah. driving. I mean, so I don't know the exact coordinates and this will come out, but I mean, possibly miles and miles, right? I don't know how long they chased him, but like this wasn't in their front yard. Right. Um, so citizens arrest laws are basically giving uh, private citizens the right to make an arrest if they feel that the law has been broken. Um, now, there's very little power given to the citizen get, making the arrest. And, and it's stated very clearly in those laws that you need to call the police as soon as possible. So you basically ask the person if they're willing to be detained by you and you call the police and you ask the person. So you say, excuse me, sir. Arrive. Excuse me, sir. Could could I please detain you for a moment? Why are those Timberlands you're wearing? Like, <laughs> yeah. listen so to the ridiculousness like, of that. Do you mind being detained for a moment? Right. And there's a fine line between citizens arrest and kidnapping. Right. So if you right. actually detain somebody and you don't call the police right away or you use measures of restraining the person. Or what if they're a child? So what if there's a 14 right. year old mouthing off to you and you don't like that? Um, yeah. You know what I mean? I've seen I've seen teenagers arrested for being mouthy. So like, you know, that that's that's where it gets really tricky is can you can you arrest a child? Um, I don't know exactly whether that's codified in the okay. law, but um, yeah, so that that is what, you know, the McMichaels are claiming that they were trying to do. Um, but I think that another piece of this that we have to really parse out and, and that we have to think about is just the, the wide scale prevalence of guns and, you know, the gun in the McMichael's hands made made this situation lethal so much faster than it would have been otherwise. Right. And I think you get into that conversation um, in your interview later in the episode. And it's a big part of, uh, you know, the peace movement in Boston. Um, but guns are, you know, quite prevalent in the United States because we have, uh, you know, the Second Amendment, but also the fact that you know, we've had, we have a culture of gun ownership and, you know, for the last 20 years, only recently was it 
uh, allowable by uh, the the Congress that people that the CDC could even study gun violence and try to make recommendations. So for about 20 right. years, there was a refusal of Congress to provide any money to to uh, federal research. And why was that? On- the NRA. Yeah, the NRA putting pressure on lawmakers. Absolutely. Um, and that was right around the time that the uh, assault weapons ban expired. So under Bill Clinton, they passed a, a, a ban on ownership and sale of uh, on the sale of assault weapons. And that expired quietly under George W. Bush's administration. Right. Um, but, yeah, the Second Amendment is such a key piece of this and of the fact that guns are so widespread and owned. There are more guns in the United States than there are people in the United States. So. Right. And, and so, Pat, um, how is this? Because a lot of a lot of gun right activists will cite the Second Amendment and um, and the you know, the sort of the right to a well-regulated militia. Um, and I know that you've read this a lot as a civics teacher and uh you i think you believe that there's a uh, misunderstanding in terms of why was it that the second amendment was put into the constitution yeah so what were you taught when you learned this in vermont yeah uh, so if the government you know if the government were because because they came out of right the colonists were essentially fighting what they saw as tyranny in the english government and so they had in their in this formation of a new union, um, the ability if the government became tyrannical or, you know, if they come to their house and they're demanding unreasonable things that the that the locals, the, the, the militia could could um, arm and and take, you know, take action. Right. Um, so when you examine the Federalist Papers, which are the papers written back and forth between is that Hamilton on Instagram or, or Twitter? Uh, no, um, that's where I get all written, my news. So I, I just I'm not familiar with the Federalist Papers. Written back and forth between Madison and Hamilton, uh, you'll see oh, like that the play. Madison was getting a little upset about the amount of control that was being given to the federal government, and uh, Hamilton knew that he had to add some provisions, um, some freedoms that would get Southern states in Southern delegates to, to uh, buy into this new document, the bill of rights and the constitution. And Madison knew that all the other Southern planters like him would want to make sure that when a, a, a slave or a group of enslaved people escaped from their plantations, that they could send out slave patrols and that those slave patrols could be armed so that they could effectively recapture escaped slaves and bring them back into slavery. And so the Second Amendment mentions that well-regulated militia. And what that refers to is, yes, the, the well-regulated militias of people who could defend the country from foreign attack. But also that that term militia refers to slave patrols. And they wanted to make sure that southern states would buy into the, the document by allowing those uh, slave patrols to carry guns to effectively recapture slaves. So I, I ask my students when I teach this, do we still need slave patrols? So, you know, doesn't that mean that we should probably revisit the Second Amendment at some point here? Right, exactly. And and you have to excuse the analogy. This might be a little out of line, but it is interesting that in these cases of Ahmaud Arbery and Trayvon Martin, that you have white people uh, 
you know, trolling around trying to capture black and brown people who are not um, their property, right? Who are not their regular citizens. There still seems to be this hierarchy in a lot of, their, a lot of Southern people's heads. Not a lot. I shouldn't say a lot. In certain Southern white people's heads who, who are uh, probably the, you know, the ones with the Confederate flags and, and they're the ones storming the state houses you know, they're essentially saying it's our job to capture the, the quote unquote bad guys. And right. in this case, it's someone going for a jog or it's someone going to get an iced tea like at the store. Yep. Do you think that's too yeah. extreme of a comparison? Um, I, I don't think you can draw a direct line there, but I think you can definitely get into the mentality um, of somebody who thinks they have the right to make a citizen's arrest or continues pursuing Trayvon Martin because of, despite the fact that the dispatcher said, we don't need you to do that right? because of the fact that a young black man is in quote unquote, the wrong neighborhood in, in a, in a predominantly white well-to-do neighborhood, just because he was taking a shortcut back to his uh, stepdad's house or his, his father's house. Right. Um, and he was on the phone with his girlfriend. Like, it's just, yeah, I think that speaks to the mentality of um, people who are well-armed in the South and make these types of decisions. Not everybody who's well-armed in the South and not everybody in the Correct. South who's white. Right. But I think when you look at these specific cases, um, yeah, I think you've got some type of connection that's being drawn even in their head um, between those two things. Right. And so sadly, Ahmaud Arbery's um, mother has joined the club of... Uh, young people who've died due to gun violence. And that's actually the topic of this week's interview. Um, so in just a moment, we're going to be back with uh, my interview with Cindy Diggs, who is a uh, local activist for the last 40 years, founder of Peace Boston and a um, major fundraiser for the Lewis D. Brown Peace Institute. Stick around, folks. This week's episode is brought to you by the Lewis D. Brown Peace Institute. The Lewis D. Brown Peace Institute is a center for healing, teaching, and learning located in Dorchester, Massachusetts to support families and communities impacted by murder, trauma, grief, and loss. The organization is named after Lewis D. Brown, a young man who believed that all young people had the potential to be peacemakers, regardless of what side of the streets they come from. He had a long-term goal of becoming the first black president of the United States. Tragically, Lewis was killed in the crossfire of a shootout in 1993. This Sunday marks the 24th annual Mother's Day Walk for Peace, which is the single biggest fundraiser for the Lewis D. Brown Peace Institute. During these challenging times, the support of a community like the Lewis D. Brown Peace Institute is more important than ever. To learn more, you can visit ldbpeaceinstitute.org. And we also have a fundraising page located at trickledownsocialism.com. Thank you.
Hi, Cindy. Hi. Cindy Diggs, welcome to Trickle Down Socialism. Hey. So glad that you could be here. Um, Me too. I know that, yeah, thank you. It's been a long time. Um, I, I wanted to, uh, before we get started with like our primary issue that we want to talk about, um, I understand that you're currently working at Massachusetts General Hospital. Um, sure am. Which is like, you know, Grand Central in Boston for the pandemic. And I wonder if you can just share with some of our listeners, like what that experience has been like for you. Well, it's been, I would say a tough uh, couple of months here. Um, So I am an administrative coordinator and I am working from home right now. Mm -hmm. I am usually um, supporting 140 clinicians um, at the hospital, but I've had to um, be deployed home, as we say, and it's it's kind of difficult because there's no administrative staff there, and we've um, actually had to have the clinicians be our uh, eyes and ears as to what is um, missing over there, if they have supplies that they need, and um, they've moved into action where they are now the ones that are in charge of um getting meals together for themselves and I'm helping to coordinate that, but it's, it's not the same, um, not being there. So, you know, telling them where to put things and how to set things up. Um, and, you know, using a a lot of technology that we haven't had to in the past, like zoom or, um, Microsoft. Yeah. It's weird, isn't it? It's very, very weird. And, you know, not to be able to see them. And, and and I want to point out to our listeners that, Cindy is joining us after a full shift at work. So we appreciate you and we're not going to take any of this time for granted. Um, You want to talk about peace? Sure. So I know you, when I I met you probably, shoot, 12 years ago, maybe at Citizen Schools. Citizen Schools. uh, And you were, you were Miss Peace Boston. You had the peace earrings. You still have those? (laughs) I sure do. And I I got my, I got my, I got my peace shirt with the stop sign that says, oh, instead of saying peace. stop, it says start peace. Yep. And yep. I have the, oh my uh, God. yeah. And I have the shirt that says, want to change Boston or change the game, something like that. Yep. Want to put peace. Boston on the map. Change oh, the yeah, game. There's a big map. <laughs> that was you too, wasn't it? That was me too. That's right. So, so your work, you, you know, you preceded me way before you met me probably at least two decades now, right? You've been doing this. Yeah. Um, can you Almost share, three. Like, what's, this is a personal connection for you, right? Like this is sure. really touched your life and your family. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about that? So I was um, talking to you about um, what I've been doing in the past 40 years. I've been an activist since I was 14 years old. And it's really hard to imagine um, that it's been that long. Um, but I would say the way that I got involved in the um, the violence prevention work was when I uh, was running a hip hop organization, which was 25 years ago. It's called Us Making Moves Forever. And I just felt like I would be able to assist um, with the the next generation um, that was dealing with violence. Um, back in 2005, I started Peace Boston, which was a hip hop peace movement with 
youth, youth workers and the hip hop community. So, and that's right around the time that I met you guys at the citizen schools. Um, I was right. on the radio, um, 2007. I had a, a radio show at touch FM. And so I was teaching the young people at, at citizen schools, how to produce their own piece radio show. And that was amazing. Um, we did it with touch FM and, um, girls radio. So, you know, yeah, the things, um, just, um, you know, I talked to the young people about the Mother's Day Walk for Peace, and you're like, wait, what are you talking about? And you joined, and I I mean, we've been in this together since then, so yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, it's crazy that it's been, it's been that long, and that um, you know, I've seen kids, I call them kids, uh, I've yeah. seen young people who um, were in that class back in eighth grade, and they still walk, you know, they Oh my God. Oh my God. I love it. Thank you you so much for telling me that. Yeah. Well, they, they, it's because it's not something that, you know, like you don't walk, you don't march and it's done and you did it right. Like it's not an accomplishment. Yeah. Something that it needs to be said and reset. And, you know, uh, there's stories, even the last couple of days of, of violence, you know, on a, on a national level, like the, the Ahmad Arbery case, I'm sure you've heard about it. Yeah. Like that, it's it's never it's never ending, right? Like it's like this yeah. constant it's struggle. And so for those of us who work um with youth or who work with folks um in the inner city, um, it's pretty clear to us, I think, that uh why some of these issues are are constant and why we struggle with them and why we don't get past them. But maybe for folks who are listening who don't um, maybe don't spend time in the inner city or don't have that personal connection. Do you have a sense? Can you share like some, some of the root causes behind violence, right? Cause nobody, nobody grows up hoping to someday commit violence. That's not a, it's not a goal. It's That's not right. That people hope or expect to happen, but it kind of, it does happen. And, and notice that, we deal with this in Boston, but this isn't a Boston problem, right? This is name a city, pick a city. Exactly. So, so could you, I mean, I, I don't want to have a, a two hour conversation, but like, <laughs> like, what do you think's behind some of these issues? What are some of the root causes? I mean, I would just have to say that, you know, those of us who work in healthcare, um, we have a saying, um, that hurt people hurt people. And I think mm. that this generation has grown up with this trauma and grief and never processed it. So um, going back to, uh, I don't know, right around the time that I was working with you, um, I was working at Boston Medical Center and I was a substance abuse counselor. Um, and I worked with the social worker there and we were trying to figure out how we could put groups together for young people, counseling sessions or, you know, groups that they could talk about um, their feelings and the issues that were happening. And right. they just didn't want to to deal with it, you know. Um, and so I, just, I can remember clearly a young person saying to me that, you know, Miss, we... Um, we just got over the um, the issue of losing a friend three months ago, and now we're dealing with it again. So it's something that um, just started to become normal, and they never processed that grief. And, you know, then they just became more angry and more angry. So that, for me, is one of the root causes. And that, um, 
is in addition to the things that are going on at home. I mean, they may be dealing with poverty or they may have um, a, a mother that is unemployed or underemployed um, and they're having to be an adult in the household. And so they may um, resort to working, um, you know, selling drugs or, or what have you. And then that causes issues because now you're competing with the other person that's out there. Um, you know, the, those are things that contribute to it. And the fact that, you know, we can offer summer jobs to young people, but not always year long jobs unless they mm. have a retail position. So right. a lot of it is, you know, trying to keep up with the Joneses or just trying to keep up period, because, you know, it's expensive to be a kid. You're, um, you don't wear a uniform to school, so you have to pay to, um, look the part. And, um, you know, you may not have that kind of money. So maybe you are resorting to doing other things to be able to pay for those. So, you know, it's, it's all of that stuff. It's really hard to be a teenager. And we just have to think about what it was like for us. I mean, for me, it was so many years ago. I don't remember um, too much of it. But, you know, it's just um, these young people have grown up way too fast. I mean, I've worked in adolescent clinics for a really long time um, before now. Um, but. You know, the, the fact that they are young parents and having to raise a child and oftentimes they're raising that child by themselves. And, you know, so right. you have to deal with all of those issues that come along with them. And you're a parent, you know that um, how difficult it is. And imagine being 14, 15 years old. Yeah, it's not possible. It's, it's not impossible. Possible. And so then, I mean, there were issues where we would have, you know, a boy that would come in and he'd have several um, girls pregnant at the same time. And the girls are fighting over that. And, you know, it, it's a lot. It's a lot is, which is why I really had to leave the field. I, I needed to take a mental break um, from, from that work and of burying children. Yeah, it's overwhelming. It's very overwhelming. Yeah. And I think what you're getting at is like, you hear the word trauma a lot now. And I think, um, folks who maybe aren't in the work, like that don't, you know, that don't work with folks who experience trauma, maybe don't, don't always see the, the impact, but, but they're seeing now more and more so that trauma changes the brain, right? So the sure. more, the more adverse events that you have, uh, you know, the more traumatic events you have, the more your brain changes and you don't, think rationally you know like folks will say well why did you shoot somebody over blank right that yeah. doesn't make sense of yep. course it doesn't yep. make sense no one no one's justifying violence we're yeah. not saying that that makes sense what we're saying is that person that that kid because many of the people who are doing it even if they're tall and they're and they look big they're kids right they're kids. If, yeah. if you're 17 and you're six foot five you're still a kid that's right you're reacting to the unresolved trauma that you've had. So um, not to make this into like a psychology lesson, but, but mm -hmm. it sounds like a lot of it is rooted in trauma and trauma mm -hmm. is connected to poverty. Right. So we, we mm -hmm. have to address those causes or we are, we're bound to um, repeat history, unfortunately, but yeah. on a more optimistic topic, um, I think, I mean, it's sad, but, but the, this Sunday is the 24th annual Mother's Day Walk for Peace. Um, and for those who aren't familiar, because uh, we are going to be sharing this online and we have a team that we've uh, organized or you've organized. Um, 
Can you tell folks uh, about the Mother's Day Walk and what it intends to do uh, for the for the Peace Institute, the Louis D. Brown Peace Institute? So this is the, the fundraiser for the Lewis D. Brown Peace Institute, which is an organization that started 26 years ago um, at the murder of um, Tina Sherry as the CEO and co-founder of the Lewis D. Brown Peace Institute. Her son was Lewis D. Brown. And so um, she just found that she um, didn't have any resources available to her um, when her son was shot because it was assumed that she that her son was uh, um, involved in gang violence. He was on his way home from um, the Teens Against Gang Violence um, Christmas party um, when he right. was shot in the, the crossfire. So once they realized that her child was a, an honor student, then all of the resources um, poured in. But then, you know, she said that, you know, what about those parents um, of young people who were not um, in, um, that were in gangs that were, um, you know, who was going to help them? Yeah, they don't so, get support. Yeah, so... Um, you know, it was uh, something that she started. They had the mother's walk. And from what I remember, they started off with maybe 500 people. And um, fast forward, I believe 2013 was um, one of the years that I was the walk team coordinator. And um, we had 20,000 people participating that year. Um, right. That was the, the year of the, the marathon bombing and everybody wanted to come out and, and walk for peace. So um, I can became, remember it became visible. It became very visible. So, I mean, we're talking a matter of um, a couple of weeks after the, the marathon That's bombing right. that this walk um, took place. So um, we couldn't figure out for the life of us why the, um, the walk kept stopping and starting and I thought it was because um, there were a lot of um, people that were running for office that year. And I thought it was because they were stopping at their, um, at their stands to pick up water or whatever it was. And so I asked the operations um, director, Milton Jones, um, at the end, like, what happened? Why did this um, keep stopping? Mm -hmm. And he said, the police just weren't ready for that amount of people because it was probably only about, I don't know, um, 10,000 the year before. Um, so it doubled. Yeah. Yeah. So then, um, you remember after a while, um, it went, um, to, um, to downtown and, and, and stopped going throughout Roxbury, I'm sorry, Dorchester. Um, and it headed downtown, um, to city hall. And that was because the, we, um, were, being impacted by the traffic. I mean, I can remember people trying to run us over because <laughs> they couldn't cut cross the line just like a, a funeral. But now you have 20,000 people walking and you're waiting for an hour for people, the, for the traffic to change. So, you know, this is something that has been growing and growing. And this, unfortunately, um, it represents the families of uh, murder victims. But um, you... Um, it's a, a fundraiser where we um, walk and we collect funds. Uh, people sponsor us. And um, we have this team that I put together for Team MGH. And um, Peace play. 
peace play. Yeah. So we have two different teams that we're competing against one another. So um, I set it up like a, um, a video game so that we have two teams within a team. We're versing each other. This team that you and I are on, and we're raising money to um, bring this sand tray, which is a therapy that was used with people um, for 9-11. And the Peace Institute has created um, Peace Play in Urban Settings. So then the other team um, is the Peace Curriculum, or Team Peace Curriculum. And they are trying to... um, bring back the the peace institute's um peace curriculum so you know it's it's a really fun way for us to be able to raise money it is happening virtually this year on sunday from 9 a.m to 9 45 so people can go on to the the website and they can sponsor us i mean you can um, sponsor they can sponsor me and they can sponsor you since you're on my team we'll just split the um Either way, uh, it does. It's all going to the same. So, same if you go to um, Mother's Day Walk for Peace with the number four, um, um, and search, and then in the comment section, you're gonna put Team Peace Play, and then put Dan, and then you can say Happy Mother's Day, Mom, or whatever other message you want to put in there, and then um, you could sponsor me too. Uh, because we are going to meet that team piece curriculum. And um, that's what I've been uh, telling my um, co-worker, Dr. Sampat, that. Yeah. So, so and, and I think. Want to support this work, that is the best way that they can we can address this um, mental health issue that I was talking about. So that. So Cindy, um, I am with you. Uh, we we definitely have uh, a great cause on our hands, the Louis D. Brown Peace Institute. One thing I would add, um, in addition to the the resources that you mentioned, is that um, oftentimes when there is a homicide, you know, no one no one anticipates the death of a fifteen or sixteen or seventeen or an eighteen year old person, and so the Peace Institute is able to step in in like the worst possible moment of someone's life and provide funeral support and, and paying for caskets and, and also like therapy and support services because many of the folks who work at the peace Institute are also survivors. Is that right? Yes. So they've been there, you know, they felt that pain. This isn't, this isn't sort of a, like, you know, we give you a hug and a, and a gift card it's very much like an inclusive kind of like a wraparound service for the, for the family. And it's my understanding that it's the only such organization in the city. Oh yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. So, and this is their primary fundraiser. Usually they get about a half a million dollars from this event. Close to, I mean, they, their goal has always been to raise 400,000. So they're just under that. Right. And, and, and obviously there's a concern that COVID will affect it because we're not physically walking and people are hard up for cash. So if anything people can give in this year, I think is even more important than ever. So I started this, um, I guess I'd call it a campaign called SOS. 
And it stands for Save Ourselves, Save Our Shorties, and Save Our Shops. So I told you about the Save Ourselves and the Save Our Shorties, which is um, young people, um, by, um, you know, basically getting this mental health therapy into our um, communities. But the Save Our Shops, um, there's a lot of uh, businesses in the black and brown communities that, and it's not just black and brown, it's just um restaurants and um and hair salons and barbers throughout everybody's community but i want to be able to make sure that the landscape of our community stays intact and some of the things, i'm sorry yeah i said i'm with okay, you so some of the things that i have learned um or observed while i'm um getting these um groups to um support the restaurants um, to feed the frontline staff. I noticed that there weren't a lot of uh, black and brown restaurants involved in this and probably because, you know, these organizations were working with these restaurants before um, COVID. So I spoke to uh, one of the representatives of the um, one of the companies and asked if they would be interested in um, bringing on other restaurants. And they said that they would, they just need to be able to raise more money. So um, I am planning something to tie it in with the Mother's Day Walk for Peace to be able to get folks to um, sponsor a meal for um, the frontline staff at Mass General Hospital. And that will in turn um, provide business for this black owned um, business in our community. So if folks are interested in that, uh, the, the group is called Cater Cows, um, C-A-T-E-R, Cow. Um, dot com and then backslash cares and then you just search Boston um, and look for the Mass General Hospital and make a five dollar ten dollar um, donation there uh, we're trying to raise I'd say I think it's about six hundred that they need for each um, week that they do um, that they have with us and we'll be able to provide a nice sit down um, dinner where you know they won't be able to sit with their peers but at least they'll have a regular meal and that's on Sunday so we were able to raise the money for this Sunday for Mother's Day so that they are not um, eating like a simple um, salad or burrito or something like that on Sunday um, where their families are, are gathering together. They can feel like they are, um, maybe they take a lunch break and they zoom in with their family. So that's something that's really big. That's a win-win because you're supporting the, the medical staff um, that are away from their home. Some of them are not even right. staying at home. Like they're staying in a hotel or, you know, um, they're staying at the hospital so that they don't have to go home and expose families or be exposed by um, people in, um, in the um, public. So, you know, this is a really big deal and, you know, you could pay for a meal for um, somebody just by, you know, sponsoring that, but then telling other friends to do the same, you know, Hey, um, every uh, week we're going to give five bucks to this cater cow and we're going to be able to contribute to this because this is a, a phenomenon that, you know, I've worked in healthcare for 25 years. We've never heard of anything that's going to keep everybody at home. It's almost like a, a movie for me. Um, so, you know, there's that. And then, um, 
I've been working with a, a local florist in South Boston that is trying to keep its doors open. So I said, you know, um, we would like to participate in he had a, a buy to give um, campaign to be able to donate plants to um, hospitals and the frontline workers. So, cool. yeah, it's very cool. So, you know, um, we were able to get 30 plants um, and we held off so that we could give them um, out at uh, for Mother's Day. But guess what? We have 80 um, people on our team. So, you know, we really want to be able to um, donate other plants. So if your listeners are listening and they can participate in this, they the plants um, are only $14 and, you know, um, you could dedicate that to your mom. You know, what I'm calling it is Mother's Day gifts. Um, so that. And what's the name of the business? The business it? is, um, let me give you their website. It's micro. Um, mothers. Can, can you repeat that? It, it, it cut out a little bit. It's cut out again. Yeah, just yeah, just say okay. the website. It's um microplantstudio.com and put in Mother's Day donation. And then um you just purchase one of those plants and he's gonna drop them off so that we can get a bunch of flowers in for the, the staff, but you'll be simultaneously supporting a, a Latino owned uh shop. Cool. Well, what I love about your spirit, Cindy, is that you don't let the fear of, of not being able to do enough stop you from doing something. That's right. Right? Because I think a lot of us, we're like, well, I'm not going to solve COVID-19. I don't work at a vaccine factory. And, right, none of us do. But there are these little steps. And uh, I think what you're saying is if you're going to buy something for someone, flowers or a meal, Let's think about who could benefit from it the most. Yes, you could spend 75 bucks at Panera, but I think Panera is going to pull out of it. For sure. And they're going to be sure. okay. Right? But, but maybe that local restaurant or that local um, flower shop, if he or she closes, it's probably not coming. Probably back. not coming back. And that's the biggest fear. You know, I've been, um, you know, it wasn't something that somebody reached out to me. I just was following uh, Facebook, Facebook and seeing these conversations, you know, oh my God, I just right. started this business and now I'm going to go out of business. And these are the folks that you want to be able to help. I mean, you've seen the stories in the news where these ginormous corporations are getting the small business association. I mean, small business um, loans or the, uh, that's right. and, the small businesses are not getting the money at all. So you know, mm -hmm. one plant at a time, one meal at a time, and you don't have to pay for the whole meal. You just have to be somebody like me. That's going to, you know, post this on my Facebook page and then tag 50 people and ask them all to donate five bucks. You know, um, we wanted to be able to provide dessert for the staff this weekend and we didn't raise enough money. Um, so, you know, next weekend when we get that, we can give them a meal from um, the, um, what's the name of that? Uh, 
ice cream place in uh, Chill on Park in Dorchester. Um, they've always worked with the Mother's Day Walk for Peace and with the Peace Institute so that, you know, folks could go over and get free ice cream or, or what have you. Right. Um, so, you know, we want to make sure that Chill on Park is there um, next year for the 25th annual um, Mother's Day Walk for Peace by buying an ice cream um, and putting $5 at um, Cater Cow because that's one of the restaurants. So, you know, for me, it's not just black awesome. and brown. It's our community and making sure that our landscape remains intact. That's awesome. Well, Cindy, thank you so much for joining us. And um, thanks for having I'm me. Looking forward to seeing you, seeing you online on on Sunday. You're going to be wearing your purple. I am. I have a purple um, Got Peace T-shirt that I'm going to wear. I'm gonna I'm gonna be there as well. Um, so this will be online on uh, on Facebook, or, or you can go directly to the Lewis D. Brown Peace Institute and look for Team MGH. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Uh, peace play. Right? Peace play is the uh, one that you want to support. So if folks want to watch what's happening, you just go to Mother's Day Walk for Peace um, dot org. And it's the number four. And you'll be able to um, see what's happening. It's Tina Sherry and Latoya Edwards. Um, they are going to be uh, leading the charge. And you just put up a, a post that says, this is why I support. If you're not going to walk on a team, then you just support um, Dan and I for that. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Cindy. Thank you. For all the work you do every day. And um, we're going to see you on See Sunday. you on Sunday. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Good night.
This week's episode is brought to you by unions. Do you enjoy having a day off more than once a month and making enough money to eat and pay the rent? That's right. With the help of unions, you'll be able to work and get paid real money. Do you enjoy having free speech without fear that the corporate multinational juggernaut you work for will intimidate you and fire you without cause? Are you in the middle of a global pandemic and can't get basic protective equipment, a day off, or a living wage? Try good old unions, just like Grandpa used to have. This week's episode is brought to you by More Than Words. More Than Words is a nonprofit social enterprise that empowers youth who are in the foster care system, court-involved, homeless, or out of school to take charge of their lives by taking charge of a business. We believe that when system-involved youth are empowered with authentic and increasing responsibilities in a business setting and are given high expectations and a culture of support, they can and will address personal barriers to success, create concrete action plans, and become contributing members of society who live, love, and own their futures. To learn more or to donate, please visit mtwyouth.org. Hey, hey! Ho, ho! These racist cops have got to go! Hey, hey! Ho, ho! These racist cops have got to go! Hey, hey! Ho, ho! These racist cops have got to go! Hey, hey! Ho, ho! These racist cops have got to go, hey, hey, ho, ho. These racist cops have got to go, hey, hey, ho, ho. These racist cops have got to go, hey, ho, ho. These racist cops have got to go. Hands up! Don't shoot! Hands up! Don't shoot! www.grassrootslaw.org.